Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. We're we're approaching the end of uh, of the year and of all of this new television that we've been watching very, very diligently. Yes, but as they say in the Wheel of Time, every other sentence, there is no end, there is no beginning. The Wheel of Time will turn. Uh, uh, that would be more relevant like a year from now when the Wheel of Time show is actually coming out. But <laughs> Oh, God. I just mean that. Can you wait for that, by the way? Can you can you imagine we're going to be talking about that at some point? Oh, maybe. (laughs) What do you mean, maybe? I I mean, I guess I guess that's right. If if everything continues on its current course, there will be a Wheel of Time show and we will be talking about it. Man, we're effectively legally obligated to talk. about Oh, man, we are. We're going to have to get choosy because there's also going to be the Lord of the Rings show. Yeah, but when's that coming out? I got no idea when that comes comes out. Yeah, I feel like they haven't they're not even working on that. But well no, they are. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, I want to briefly touch on Mandalorian episode six before we delve into the big season finale of Watchmen. Yes. Okay, so also minor note, because today is Tuesday, December seventeenth recording this. I don't yes. know when this is gonna come out, but just so you know, uh, Mandalorian comes out a little early this week. Comes out on Wednesday. December yes. 18th because of, I assume, because of the release of Star Wars. Right. Wouldn't want people to have to choose. <laughs> yeah. Because anyone's going to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway. Uh, so like I said last week, the luster of the show has been waning. If you Ooh, will. Yeah. That Beskar isn't as shiny as it used to be. No. Uh, I'm not sure if I haven't really been paying attention to what, you know, the Internet says about it. I don't know if feelings are feeling people are feeling similar or not, but I don't really care. Um, I, however, I will say that while this episode didn't do what this show is, I I wanted to do, uh, and I'm pretty sure that what's going to happen this season now, since we only have what, like two or three episodes left is that all of the season is just like fun little adventures. And then we're going to be given more of a bigger plot hook at the end. Yeah. And then second season is really going to ramp it up. Maybe. Mm, Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um. Anyway, but yeah, this episode, I feel like one of the things that, that's disappointing is that, you know, you look at it and it's like each episode kind of has a different structure. You know, last last episode was kind of like, you know, almost like, oh, they're on a they're on a on the road, you know, desert motorcycle, you know, encountering some weirdos. And then there's like a sniper battle. I'm like, OK, cool. Like it's a different format, kind of. And then this one, you know, it's the ragtag gang and a prison break. And you're like. Okay, fine. But it's just so dull. (laughs) I will say that I like this episode more than I've liked the past three, maybe. I just thought it was a lot more. This is a more interesting. It was still pretty beat by beat, but I just thought that the characters were a little more interesting. There was a little more intrigue because of, you know, previous relationships. I like seeing a glimpse into, like, the active New Republic. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, the cast was hysterical um a, once again a little bit immersion breaking because it's like oh it's that guy yeah oh, oh it's, it's that girl bill burr okay. oh it's that guy i think bill burr did a pretty good job that episode actually he did no he i i think bill burr is actually like fine as an as an actor but he is one of those you know he's not going to disappear into a role do you know what i mean right yeah yeah it's he's always going to be him luckily they built the role with that in mind yeah you know it took me a little bit for some of the people in makeup i was like who who's that i definitely recognized that person I'm like oh that's the girl from game of thrones okay the one who played asha yeah 
And then what's the big guy's name? I'm blanking on it again. Some Starship Troopers and uh, yeah. Anyway, I'll think of it in a second. And then even I, I read that even the the poor New Republic soldier who who bit it in the end, uh, he was the voice of Anakin in the Clone Wars show. Huh. Which is kind of interesting. Clancy Brown. That's who played the big guy. Yep. Um, but yeah, so. I mean, like I said, it was more interesting. I thought the combat was a little, like, the robots was a little more interesting, although I don't know why everyone's just, like, trying to fight robots with their bare hands most of the time, but felt a little more Star Wars-y to me uh, than the past maybe two episodes have. So, once again, show not doing what I wanted to do, but better episode to me? Yeah, I, I think this one was a little bit better than the last one, like, if you take it in a vacuum, but I just had a lot more trouble engaging with this. Maybe not this episode's fault, but it's just, like, Oh, here's a bunch of new characters. I'm like, yeah, but they're all, none of them are going to, they're all just going to be gone by the end of this, you know? Yeah, it's a really interesting move to try and do this in a time when, like, effectively this style of television making has been abandoned. If We talk about it a lot in our TV episode. Yeah. But it just seems like, no, who's asking for a Monster of the Week show? Well, but I also think a Monster of the Week show, I could... I could be interested in a Monster of the Week show if the core cast was more fun to watch. But the Mandalorian, we've we've been saying this whole time, like, he's not giving you too much. Mm-hmm. Baby Yoda's not giving you too much. And what I thought was he was going to be building up his squad, but that's not what's happening. You know, so it's it's not like, you know, the Monster of the Week episodic format is is fine when, you know, oh, I love this group and I just want to see you know, what wacky situation they're going to be in this week because their dynamic is good enough on its own. Like in the X-Files, the Mulder-Scully dynamic was good enough on its own that like the Monster of the Week stuff was fine. It was just, oh, let's see how these two deal with this. But like the Mandalorian-Baby Yoda relationship is not Mulder and Scully. (laughs) Right. Um, Uh, Yeah, definitely agree. Like, you know, the reason Buffy was so appealing at first, you know, is that like, oh, this ensemble cast is really good. Right. Or you could say a similar thing about Firefly, or you could say, like, for Supernatural, one of the few more Monster of the Week shows oriented, like, toward that direction. Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, like, these things are all, like, the people that, you know, they said, yeah, the ensemble cast, or even just two people that their chemistry can really carry it, and yeah, we're getting... And it doesn't, like, it's not even like, well, okay, like, one's a baby, effectively, and one's a stoic whatever, but they haven't even been doing right. much between the two of them, so... Yeah. Eh, I'm not really sure what we're doing. Because even those those scenes are sometimes they're nice, but again, it's like I've got a puppet who can't talk and a stoic warrior whose face I can't see. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's just like he and we talked about this a little bit last week, but like there's an easy like there are easy opportunities within this formula to give me more from that character, to give me more from the Mandalorian You know, if he's teaching baby Yoda about the galaxy or about right and wrong or about how to survive, you know, like then that creates interesting scenes and gives me more about him and his point of view. But I'm not getting that. It's just like stay on the ship (laughs) episode, run episode, roll credits, you know? Yeah, no. So I don't know what we're doing, but uh, maybe in the last two or three here, we'll get more. But. Who knows? Yeah, I just I, I feel like they're just trying to they have it's it's almost like an experiment of they're just trying to be like, what if we just made like an action show that was just an old fashioned action show? And uh, I don't it's not landing. 
it's not landing. No, unfortunately, no. So anyway, no need to beat a dead horse there. Should I move on to the main event? Mm, let's talk about that Watchmen. This is Watchmen See How They Fly. Yes. The finale of the season. Perhaps the show. It, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, so let's uh, so let's structure this. Let's talk first about as much as we can, because these things are probably going to spill into each other. Um, first about the episode itself and then about, you know, kind of the series writ large okay. now that we can take the full view of it. And for context sake, I rewatched the entire series leading up to the finale. Oh, my goodness. Not all in one sitting. <laughs> like, I didn't sit down like eight hours at 1 p.m. on Sunday and just told my family, shut up, guys. I've got to <laughs> see about Dr. Manhattan. Um, I, you know, I, I just, you know, I watch one or two episodes a night as I'm getting ready for bed. Just kind of like, because I was, after episode eight, I got deep. Um, I have the timeline that I put up on the um on the website, realityalternative.space. I got deep into the subreddit. I got deep into theorizing and other people's theories. And um, I was really plugged in. I rewatched, um, you know, picked up on some interesting details um, and was really, really, really just soaked in Watchmen leading up to uh, the finale. That's awesome. Yes. And I and 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 so I I. I have some thoughts from that experience that we can talk about when we talk about the show as a whole. But so that was me going into the finale. Like I was, you know, um, <coughs> super I, fan at that point. Well, yeah. And I kind of did like what I did with um, Endgame where I timed it out so that I could watch Infinity War. And by the time Infinity War was finished, I could just get in the car and go see Endgame. Um, and I timed it out. So like, I'm going to watch, uh, episode eight. And then when episode eight is done, I'll be able to press play on episode nine and just zoom right in. So that's what I did. Um, but it did all that. And I have to say, and based on what I've been reading, I might be the only person on the planet that has this, but I was a little, little let down by the finale. Yeah. When you came, when we talked a little bit, Pre you know, pre-show, I was like, oh, I don't think Greg liked this episode. Uh, and why don't you delve into why, Greg, that well, you felt a little let down? Um, so I don't think that I, I mean, I think that the episode like as a self-contained episode of TV was great. Pacing was great. Performances were great. Um, you know, moment to moment, it was pretty good. There was one moment that um, I think I, I was joking to you and I said, like, the writer's room of Shrek 9 would have would wouldn't have wouldn't have let this joke pass. But when Looking Glass beans Vite with the with the wrench and says he talked too much, I was like, that is fucking so awful. Like that is like <laughs> that is embarrassing. Like that is ugh. like ugh, it's yeah, it's it felt really out of place too. Uh, not only out of place just for the tone and the gravitas of the series, but also out of place for that character for glass, you know, but I don't want to get too deep, too bogged down in that. That's a, that's a minor thing. Most of, most of the episode as a whole was good. But when I look at it in the context of what this show really felt like it was building to and what this show really felt like it wanted to say and what I guess I expected a Watchmen ending to be, uh, I, I felt really let down. I felt like um, most of the major themes 
that the show had been developing, it really just abandoned and abandoned in some kind of problematic ways, almost undoing the work that it had done, especially on the race issues. Um, and I mean, I think that I, I, the, the summary I've been kind of tinkering with my head is that while I think it is narratively complete, I mean, I think they ended their story in a way that is internally consistent and, um, you know, was interesting and surprising to a certain extent. Uh, it is not thematically complete. I think that's, I can totally see where you're coming from. I think that's a good way to start because I think that when I look back and I look at all the question, the quote unquote questions we had, you know, throughout the things like pretty much every single one was answered and pretty effectively. Yes. Also, just going to just going to do it when you thought when you uh, posture maybe that uh, a few episodes back that the statue was Vite. Was that your original idea or did you pick it up somewhere? No, somebody on somebody had <laughs> I, I had heard that on, um, you know, the people on, on Reddit were, were, were kicking that one around. And I thought that felt a little too hokey. I mean, I was always on kind of board like, oh, no, Vite's been on Earth for a while now. Mm-hmm. We just don't know about it. Um, I honestly, I thought the, oh, he's in the statue when people were theorizing that on Reddit, I was like, that's a little, and, and truthfully, even the way we got there felt a little contrived in, in the context of the show. Yeah. It wasn't really well explained. I mean, not that stuff needs to be explained, but it just kind of felt like they can do that. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm, I was okay with the tech, but then it's like, it just felt way too convenient that he gets on, he gets on board in his old outfit and they make him stand in a pose like just so you're ready to be a statue in her garden when you get back (laughs) that just seems like yeah they were they were working a little too they were working a little too hard to make that happen you know i i feel like that moment could have been just as interesting if they didn't go through the whole freezing him in gold carbonite thing and um you know we just uh you know saw him in like in the same hallway that Angela had been in when she was getting her treatment and just like the door across the hall, we open that and he's just sitting there. Yeah. You know, I feel like it could have worked just as well instead of having this weird kind of hokey, like, Oh, that's just a little too cutesy. But yeah, there was a couple of those episodes where things were like, let's, so let's focus a little bit narratively, like mm-hmm. very interesting developments. I, I felt like they did a really good job and this is in this episode, but also throughout the series, like you said, kind of hard to pull them apart here, but it's really hard to make a mystery in any context compelling, especially multiple mysteries. This is the problem that like, you know, mystery books have that any sort of mystery storytelling on the screen happens is like to walk the line of breadcrumbing and providing the audience or the reader with enough information that they can kind of maybe be a couple steps ahead of the characters without making it obvious. And you're sitting around waiting for what you know is going to happen versus just like having it so mysterious and just like you're only get, you, you know, you're only going to have any idea what's going on at the very end. I thought they did a really good job of like walking that line this whole series. Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, I never watched The Leftovers, which was Lindelof's show between Lost and this but I think this is this is possibly the best that anyone has done at that kind of puzzle box television storytelling, because, you know, we were we, we were talking about a couple episodes back, like I feel like the pieces are all on the board, right? That that there that this mystery is solvable. I just can't see the connections yet. Um, and that's that's kind of the key to really telling 
a great mystery in this kind of format is that um, you get to a certain point and you feel like the, the solution is 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 just on the tip of your tongue. And if you can just look at the clues from a slightly different angle, you'll crack it. And this show did an excellent job of of getting you there. Um, I, I, I agree. Like, and that was part of the reason I think that, you know, I realized as I was be you know, in this obsessive mode, uh, last week, getting ready to watch this episode of like, man, they did a really good job of bringing me in because now I'm reading all the PDPedia articles and I'm collating the dates. And like, it's like, yeah, because they made me feel like they had given me all of the pieces and I could, I could put it together. Um, excellent job. Yeah. And like, you know, the use of the PDP stuff where it was like, in you know, enhancing, but not necessary. Uh, and the way they kind of got to the end and, and on the last episode, I really only there was only really one or two remaining questions that I had I mean, besides how the show was going to end. But like, what is True's motivation and plans? Mm-hmm. And to a slightly lesser degree, like how... Or when or why is Vite getting back? But we had kind of gotten to that point where it's like, okay, like clearly he's going to be back there somehow. He's probably the thing that fell from the sky, et cetera, et cetera. He'll probably be involved in this final act in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think about like the details of, you know, True's mother and True and like that relationship? And I thought the, I, I don't know why I never thought of like, because we kind of postulated like, oh, maybe he is her father, either biologically or, or otherwise. Uh, so I never, why I didn't think, why I didn't think of save me daughter, but that was clever. And that was, that was bandied about again. And as I was reading the Reddit, a lot of, that was a, that was a pretty big theory. I, the, I was kind of leaning on that because I was like, um, what else can it, could it be at this stage, you know, heading out of episode eight, like who could that be referring to? We're not going to introduce a new character in episode nine. All we could do is explain a re- some relationship he has with a character we already know who, you know, and it's like, it's got to be true because that's who else would have a satellite out there. So it's either daughter or we find out that they had a pre-existing relationship and, you know, her real name starts with a D or, you know, he calls her Dr. True or something like to that extent. Mm-hmm. Um, the daughter thing I think was very interesting because I think it did a really good job of, you know, playing on a little bit of emotional manipulation and also her, you know, painting Vite as the kind of guy who like he makes a point of like, yeah, we're you're nothing to me, um, blah, blah, blah. And then knowing like I need to get rescued from this goddamn moon and I know her satellites is going to be here in like a certain amount of time, which was a little, con- you know, I was like, oh, could he really get it that close? But um, but also by saying daughter, that's really going to make her want to come rescue me. Right. Mm-hmm. That's going to motivate her because I know, you know, if she's anything like me, it's going to be important to her to get this recognition. So I'm going to say that. And, you know, um, I thought it was really, really good. And it also t- taught us something about her and how much getting, you know, having the audience of her parents, how important that was to her and how motivating that was for this big part of her plan. So that was great. Yeah. And a couple minor asides when the warden comes and he's got the gun aimed at fight. I'm like, catch the bullet. Catch oh, the yeah. Bullet, I was catch like, the oh, bullet. Yes, yes, yes. Please do it. <laughs> so and once again, like in one of those ways where it's 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 tying to the comic, but it's not like super cheesy. I don't know how or why it's different, but it just feels different, like it feels earned. And it was I was just like, do it, do it. Uh, 
I will say that the one minor complaint I have about this is kind of one of those like more plot holy things, but like the resolution of freezing the squids is an interesting take and also works in the squids in a good way. Makes that feel more meaningful than it had previously. Uh, but like it seemed was like really strangely implemented. It was like, oh, it's going to wipe out everything in a five block radius. And it has the power to like, un- like basically tear apart this like massive structure that true built presumably like which had to stand up to the elements and all these other things. So, like it's gotta be fairly solidly well-made, but like people in buildings and in cars were fine. Well, yeah. So it was a little bit, I didn't love that because, and not to get too like mechanistic here, but this is a show that's conditioned me over the previous eight episodes to look at everything very closely and think about things very analytically. Like that's what the show has asked me to do that. So I don't think I'm being an asshole by thinking about it this hard. But, you know, True makes a point in episode, I think, four, three or four, when, uh, no, it would be four, when Angela and Lori go to visit her and she talks about her facility and how it is built to withstand earthquakes and plane crashes and almost a direct quote here, everything short from a direct nuclear strike. That's what she built her little, like, headquarters to be ready for. And then her quantum centrifuge, which is going to turn her into a god and is the culmination of her life's work, can't stand up to hail <laughs> in September in Oklahoma. I mean, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's 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 in the it's in the south, but it's not. I mean, it's it's not like it's, you know, um, uh, you know, Houston, like how that that just struck me as really kind of weak um and yeah yeah i i I think it it that just didn't work for me i was like this doesn't add up and then again there's this really inconsistent damage that the squids are doing because on one hand it it, like you say it completely tears apart this super science machine but the little like sheet metal phone booth is fine yeah yeah (laughs) what so i mean in my head i'm trying to say like oh it was more concentrated in that area thus it was you know whatever and and it started getting down a rabbit hole of like, well, he says it's from the stratosphere, so they're obviously hitting terminal velocity. And how much force would that would just stop? Just stop. But it's hail, right? Yeah. It's I mean, hail. It's, I guess like big. Yeah, because it was about the size of her palm. Yeah. Golf ball sized hail is what we're talking about here, which will yeah. which will fuck up a car. Um, And maybe maybe, yeah, they are moving faster. But then it's but then it's also not like they're denting the pavement, you know? Right. It was really inconsistent with. You know, or, or it just wasn't consistently presented of like how much damage are these things doing? Because on one hand, they're like tearing apart this machine. They punch a hole in True's hand. But then you see other characters just kind of like getting bead with one and being like, ow, that hurt. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, wait, yeah. which is it? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to linger on it. I think the idea is cool. So I'm kind of just trying to stick to that, like just using the squids in that way and, uh, you know, their ability to help. It was, you know, once again, fun seeing like, you know, Vite and Laurie like at Karnak doing kind of superhero stuff. But yeah, saving the day. Yeah. So but here's a couple of things I wanted to think about a little bit. Uh, also, one other thing I like that they the plot machinations they used to get True's plan in under John's nose was really good. Like it explains why she had to help, why she had to contribute to manipulating the 7th Cavalry and Cyclops to 
have this plan because like, you know, Dr. Manhattan is not, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything that's happening in the world. He only knows what he can see or has seen um, just like any other person. Uh, but being in that prison basically cuts off his ability to see right. all time at once. And I just thought that was like a really clever way because it's really hard to write around that character. It's, yeah. He knows that he gets captured by the 7th Cavalry and then everything goes black. Right. He, you know, and and yeah, really clever. I like that. And also, Lisa, it also makes him a little more compelling because he doesn't know how it ends. I mean, I think he probably assumes because he doesn't know anything past then. But there could have been a lot of outcomes in that situation that he's not, you know, he doesn't know. Yeah. Maybe he got the power. Maybe he became a human. Like, who knows? There's a lot of things that could have happened. So I think that you know, he could have died, which is what he, I think he assumed. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought that was cool. I wanted to talk about, I think this is going to play into some of your critiques, and I, I think it's going to add a different perspective, but we talk, you know, on paper, effectively, True is no different than Vite. Sure. You know, she has a plan to save the world. It's going to involve killing some people. Some of that might be some, a little more passioned killing of people, vengeance, than uh, Vite's more, you know, cold, calculated well, I have to do this because it's the only way that makes sense kind of thing. Uh, but all she, you know, ostensibly the only thing, only bad stuff she's done so far is kill racists. Not just racists, but like capital E evil supervillain, not supervillain, but supervillain plot racists. Right, like, I, yeah, exactly. Like actual, like not just racist, but like active white supremacists. Right. Um, who are going to make a white right. supremacist who super are unquestionably bad guys irredeemable like actively working to undermine society like racist cult conspiracists right just get that out there uh and then you know obviously we're not a big fan of her killing dr manhattan but points well made you know Vite tried it didn't work but she said she's going to take this power which and she said she's going to save the world by doing all these things saving the world you know eliminating nuclear weapons I forget what else she, she yeah, said. I think she said fixing the air, feeding the hungry. Right. All these things. It's like, okay, cool. Uh, so, and I think the show could have done a little better portraying it, but, and I'm curious what the overall message is because she could have done a better job. Sorry, let me start. She did a better job portraying it as like, why are we rooting against her? Yeah. Like, so, why, why is she, is why is she the villain here? Because she's killing a character we like? Okay, that's that's fair, but this is Watchmen. That's that's trying to challenge our conceptions of like individualism and heroism, and what is you know how much do the ends justify the means in different situations? And then you pair that with the fact that Laurie and Looking Glass are bringing Vite in at the end of the show, and you know I think we can assume this is going to be revealed to the world. Yeah, I mean I think that's the that's the. Certainly the course it's taking. Now, you could imagine a version of the story that or some follow up to the story. This is not me saying I want this, but you, where it picks up five years later and like, yeah, we we tried to show the evidence, but um, the FBI took it from us and suppressed it. And now we're both in jail, you know, like now Greg, you could imagine Hold on a second. Hold uh, on a second. When would when could the executive branch of the federal government ever like withhold evidence or, you know, admit to doing things and just keep on operating the way that would never happen in America. Yeah, no, it could because they would be they would be worried about impeachment, which is, as you know, an effective check on executive power. Totally. Uh, anyway, but, it's, but you could imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Environment. And, you know, I think they're one of the subtler points, I think, that Watchmen was making here 
was that Vite didn't Earth didn't become the utopia that Vite thought it would just by removing the threat of nuclear Armageddon. The world didn't proceed to a utopia. Mm-hmm. It you know in many ways just kind of became a slightly different version of the world we know. Now that bit of world building plus the kind of stance the show seems to take a that lady true is bad right we weren't really given a chance to be like oh boy i don't know you know the show didn't really make us want to kind of sit with it the way the comic did and make us want to sit with vite's decision and we 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 basically kind of talked through all the implications with all the other characters so you as reader were kind of like i don't know if that was the right thing to do whereas here i mean on paper it's like yeah the plus side is true makes an excellent point Dr. Manhattan could have fixed a lot of very real problems, but he did not. Someone should fix those problems. Um, but Vite tells us, yeah, maybe somebody should fix those problems, but not her. Because <laughs> that would be bad because reasons. Yeah. And I mean, it was a cool moment in the show, but you're kind of like, well, I kind of wish that the show had grappled with the morality of that a little bit more. And um, but so what that adds up to to me that is one of the more worrisome elements here is that. The show seems to be taking the position that any kind of utopian project is inherently bad and wrong (laughs) because Veidt's utopian project killed a lot of people and didn't really accomplish much in the long run. Bad. True can't be allowed to even try her utopia because humans are fallible and can't be trusted. So it kind of seems like the show is saying like, hey, you know what's great? Everybody, the status quo. Don't get any ideas about the world being better. And it also has the example of the utopia that Manhattan tried to build on Europa and like, uh, he really screwed that up because he didn't quite understand people and it was a little self-centered and blah. Utopia's bad. Don't utopia. And I don't like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can view it one of, that's one way to view it, I think, for sure. I think you can view it maybe like utopia's not possible. One way to view it. Third way is like, Utopias at the design by megalomaniacs through violence, maybe not the best way to start. Sure. Um, but I think that's a point well made. But I don't think it gave us enough of a reason to really doubt true. Yeah. Basically, she- it was just Vite's word that she's worse than him or just like him, which right. isn't really compelling because they didn't. I mean, I you- liked I didn't see I had honestly, she seemed kind of insufferable, but also kind of charming. I didn't see in anything we saw of her in the show of like, oh, I don't know about this one. She seems a little, you know, ooh, she's got a dark side that I'm worried about. Like, I didn't catch that in the show at all. Right. And it's because we've already been conditioned by the point of the original comic of just like, did Vite do the right thing? I mean, he's like it's evil, but like if it saved the world, you know, so. Yeah. Like you said, I think and it's hard because I wouldn't have want them to turn her into like a mustache twirling like villain. But no. some some sign of like the hubris or the megalomania being more pre- prevalent in her than invite even or something like that could have gone a long way to making me. Right. I don't know, though, because part of it is like, oh, like maybe I should. But like I said, I think that the show wasn't really trying to make me think about it. And but I am. <laughs> but no, so. I think that it's just I don't I, I you know, I'm I'm kind of in the Lady True did nothing wrong camp. <laughs> Give Lady True a chance. Um and I think that maybe maybe the show was kind of aiming for that. Um, and Laurie and Glass just kind of and, and us by proxy just kind of believed him in the heat of the moment that she needed to be stopped when, you know, I mean, 
I think there could be an argument to be made that Veidt wanted to stop her because he didn't want somebody else to get credit for saving the world. Yeah. And that... And he just made up some bullshit about, oh, she's a narcissist like me, Laurie Blake, who hates me. And, right. and you know, um, Looking Glass, who probably hates me, but I've never seen before, you know. Oh, yeah, definitely don't need another one of me running around, right? I mean, the only other way I could kind of take it is that because Veidt realized in his time of penance, for lack of a better term, even though he kind of he's kind of flipping about it when he comes back to Earth, you know, like, oh, I just needed to not go crazy for that time and whatever. And he sort of is very obviously showing that he is craving, you know, uh, validation and recognition for what he did. He... They could, once again, could have spent more time developing this, like real, the realization that he didn't create a utopia and that finally overwhelming his sense of narcissism, megalomania to realize that like, oh, I failed and therefore she's going to fail and cause just as much destruction doing it. Right. Something like that. Would have seemed a little bit more of a conclusion of his arc. Yeah. That, you know, something like she's going to try, she's going to fail. And that's going to drive her insane. Yeah. You know, that because that's what it did to me. Yeah. Um, yeah I think they could have. Yeah. I, I feel like this could have been done a little bit better because the pieces were there. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, again, the, the, the overall message of utopias are impossible, therefore don't try is not one I agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I probably would agree that, yes, utopias are impossible, but by striving towards them, we will make improvements, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, no, you can't have a perfect society, but you can have a better one. Right. And this show, I feel like one of the things that, again, I, I kind of feel like it doesn't quite thread the needle on is... Because the kind of the, the final kind the, the kind of final conversation between Will and Angela, and he says Doctor Manhattan was a good man, but knowing what he could have, you know, knowing what he could do, he could have done more. Yes, and this idea that there is still work to be done at building a better world, but it didn't really, and and that maybe Angela, whether she has superpowers now or not, was going to be a part of that. But it didn't really help me understand, like, what is a better world in the eyes of Will and Angela and the remaining characters, right? Mm-hmm. Because really, when I think about it, and as I was thinking about the kind of the racial um, conversation in the show um, and, and the concept of justice and racial justice, at least in terms of economic justice, uh, it would appear that the reparations scheme um, in, the, in the world of the show worked in the sense of restoring the economic progress that black Americans lost, you know, in the Jim Crow period, uh, a reconstruction in Jim Crow period as as typified by the Tulsa massacre. And the, you know, when you look at Angela Abar is a detective for the Tulsa Police Department. Uh, it would appear her husband does not work, you know, single income household, but they live in a beautiful home. They've got three kids she drives an infinity SUV. She's doing okay, you know? Like, you know, and and you know, there are a lot of thriving small businesses. It looks like, you know, you've got a socioeconomic world that is much more equitable to African Americans in the world of the show than you do in in the real world. So it's almost like that justice, at least 
economically was done. So you wonder what is the remaining project of, you know, in this world for, you know, racial justice. Um, and the show didn't really tell me like what's left to do. I'm not saying there's nothing left to do in the world of the show, but it didn't really, you know, and, yeah. and I don't, where do they go from here? Not in a like, show me, show me, show me, but it just, that's one of the reasons I feel like the, the racial themes are incomplete. Yeah. I thought a lot about this. Um, cause you, you know, you put the bug in my head that <clears throat> maybe perhaps the show didn't, if we're going to move on a little more or less from the narrative and more to like the themes that of things that were presented in the show, ideas of race and trauma, narrative memory. And what did this last episode do to tie those up? I think that the message that's sent from Will, you know, about Dr. Manhattan is like kind of an important one. I could see how it wouldn't sit well with a lot of people. And I completely I can I can agree from a certain point of view that like, eh, like the idea, like you said, you know, like he was a good man, but he could have done more. I think that's an interesting idea in that it it reveals the more insidious passive racism that exists in you know, all white people. Right. And that how much work, how much effort does one individual or group of people put in towards combating racism and working towards social justice? And then when you juxtapose it against, you know, the elite who are actively working against that, right? How many, you know, this idea of a lot of people just sort of tap out and say, well, I can't fix it. So I'm not going to participate in helping in any way. And they wouldn't describe themselves as racist or anything like that, but by standing by passively, right, you're contributing and benefiting from the system. And Doctor Manhattan, I mean, it's confusing at this point, but was a white man, right? Yes. And you know, in in a racially uh, similar America to ours up until the point of diver- divergence, for lack of a better term, and he didn't do anything. And there's a lot of excuse me, uh, questions around like, well, there's a lot of questions about how Dr. Manhattan works mechanistically that probably could explain it, but it's, that's beyond the point, right? Like, I think that that's a, it's a good message because I just read a book called White Fragility, mm-hmm. pretty popular book, you know, for, for people to read, especially if they're first diving into like social justice issues or concerning race targeted at white people. And it talks a lot about these ideas. And it says one of the things that it needs to be away from is we need to be away from is the good, bad paradigm of racism. Like all racists are bad, evil people. And therefore I'm not a bad, evil person. So I'm not racist. Exactly. And I think the show is kind of saying that like Dr. Manhattan to some people was a good man. Right. But doesn't mean he wasn't racist. Right. I mean, I think <clears throat> it's, it's, and again, this is, you know, somebody, one of the analysis I was listening to is like one of the miracles of this show is that it has made the comic better. It has enriched the source material because there's there's new it is shown you new ways to read it because, mm-hmm. yeah, when you think about Dr. Manhattan and what he chose to do with his powers was essentially to serve the will of the U.S. government, because mm-hmm. as he kind of lost track of his humanity he lost sense of a, a real sense of right and wrong and just needed a push in some direction. Um, didn't have a real moral compass of his own. Well, um, I also think that you could look at a different way where you could say he's a refugee from, you know, his parents fled Germany because they're, you know, because of the Holocaust. Sure. And therefore probably, uh, you know, has a lot of patriotism surrounding the United States. Could be. View of, you know, Bringing us in, rescuing us, prevent you know defeating Nazi Germany, but I, I etc. 
I think somewhere in maybe it was it's a show, maybe it's the comic, but someone asks him, like, why did you just do that? It basically was like, because that's what I thought a hero was. Yeah. I thought a hero was someone who was a good, a good soldier. Yeah. And that's, you know, but the fact that he had a blind spot to what he could do with his powers to improve the lives of, you know, other people. It was essentially to go and preserve the status quo. Um, And also he used his powers a lot to like bolster capitalism by creating, you know, the lithium, the synthetic lithium batteries and the, you know, nuclear cars and all the other little gadgets and gizmos he invented for for the world, not to just hand out to people, but to sell, you know, yeah. um, it's um, so I think there's a there's a there's a powerful point to be made there that he could have done more. And um, what I, I what I, I guess what I'm saying is I just wish the show had done a better job of illustrating to me what some of those things could be. True talked about she she listed off some things that she thought he should have done with his power, you know, mm-hmm. something for me to grab onto and like understand, like, what is the competing vision for the world? Yeah. Um, I didn't get that from Angela and Will. Yeah, I agree. And I think that one way to look at it as well in that context is it mirrors Will's experience with uh, Captain Metropolis and really the Watchmen in general. It, it seems that Minutemen and then Watchmen, you could view it from this sort of way that some people it's kind of a this is actually an interesting way to take it. So you and I everyone's go to this sometimes, I think. But True didn't really talk about race in her right. grand plan. Right. Which is probably where she diverged from Will and in that direction. And she's focused on the big the big picture things, which is kind of a tactic used by others put that very broadly to. Well, we don't have time to worry about race or these other little things because we have to worry about this over here, which is more important for Captain Metropolis. That was, you know, Moloch, the sorcerer or whatever and money. But for Dr. Manhattan, that was the war, the Cold War. For mm-hmm. Vite, it was the threat of nuclear Armageddon. And no one ever stopped to say, well, are they mutually exclusive? Can we do both? Right? Both are important. Some could even argue that one is more important than the other. I don't know. Just one way to kind of align it a different way. And that they're saying, no, like, we should be fighting for all these things and not give up on smaller scale social justice for the big picture. Right. Well, and and also even just contextualizing it as the big picture implies implies a level of privilege. Right, exactly. Um because, you know, like um there 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 are people who would argue we can't solve climate change unless we abandon capitalism. Like those two things can't, you know, uh can't coexist. And I I think you could make the argument we can't solve climate change unless we address social justice because these things are linked and um, because it is generally communities of color who are most impacted by climate change issues until the world cares about those communities. They will not care about climate change, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. That's when it's it's relevant to a conversation I've had with a friend once we were talking and we were just lamenting, you know, being very scared about climate change but you know he was like said something about the survival of the human race i was like whoa hold on here like we're like as a human race like the existence of humans on the planet earth like we'll be fine 
like that's not going to be a problem. It's like who's going to die in the process. And to your point, it's the poor people, the brown people like and not to mention all the other like environmental concerns of like losing biodiversity and things. But like humans will be fine. Like we've seen enough post-class movies like we can get by. But at what cost? Right. Right. It's it's a and that's one of the big again at this the subtle racism that underlies a lot of resistance to um, dealing with climate change, especially in the U.S., is the realistic calculus of, well, I will actually be okay. My children will be okay. My grandchildren will be okay. Yeah, you know, people in the global south or in vulnerable coastal communities will be impacted, but that's not me. And if anything, and yes, it will cause, you know, there will be refugee crises, et cetera, et cetera. But at most, those will annoy and inconvenience me and my descendants. It won't have a material impact. It's all kind of hypothetical, but we're going to be fine. Even if, you know, we have to move inland, that's fine. We have the money. We have the opportunity. We're going to get the loan for the house. You know, it's... Um, and right. that's the subtle racism. It's the, well, maybe not even racism, but privilege of I don't have to care about this because it won't really impact me directly. It will impact people who don't really look like me. And uh, so yeah. we'll be able to afford the water. We'll be able to afford the increase in our AC bill. Right. You know, we can still go to the zoo to see the animals we've rescued that are going to be wiped out otherwise, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, I mean, clearly – and I'm not not to wrap this up because I want to keep talking about this, but I think just to, to step, step aside for a second and talk, the fact that this show is ha- having us talk about these things and have it be so integrated means it did something right. I think that there's a lot to be desired in this last episode that could have been more overt about this stuff and more in line with the themes of the show for sure. Uh, like you said, I mean, Angela didn't really do anything in the last episode which wasn't great and will didn't really do anything last episode which wasn't great and you know the only other like there was like the super evil people and there's another evil person who is you know a minority yeah and the heroes were the white people sitting in a facility somewhere else it's kind of not great yeah so that was so that that's something that two things i want to point out that just kind of i i feel like really undercut the racial message of the show one is that the day was saved by the oldest richest white man with you know because uh of his you know because he's got old wealth essentially old technology just lying around waiting for him right um essentially his white privilege saved the day that kind of sucks um, another thing that I kind of felt coming a little bit, but was kind of hoping they were going to steer away from it. But Lady True feels um, uncomfortably troped and stereotyped to me because her character boils down to essentially kind of the overachieving tiger mommed Asian kid stereotype. Mm hmm. It's kind of like, hey, what if that, but they were a supervillain and they were, you know, constantly trying to please their parents and do the best job. And um, that was a little problematic to me. Uh, um, I didn't like that. And I was kind of hoping they would steer away from that, but they steered into it in the finale. And I didn't I didn't care for that. 
I would also say, and this is not as problematic, this is more of a pet peeve of mine, and perhaps an overanalysis uh, of mine with as a, you know, as someone who bristles at um, critiques of millennials a little bit. You could also interpret the kind of final thing as like, you know, an aging boomer, like finally uh, taking it to the millennials. I mean, number one, it's called the Millennium Clock. Okay, um, she's young. She has no respect for authority. She needs constant praise and attention. She thinks she's better than everybody. Um, she's got weird gender ideas because if you notice, there are no men working in the true facility anywhere. It's all women. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is stopped from enacting her, you know, crazy lefty plan by uh an old boomer just doing old boomer stuff just doing just doing the old doing the classics playing the oldies like i was like oh come on now (laughs) hurts yeah i don't know if that was intentional but i i I don't know if it was but i was like "Eh, ick (laughs) fair uh fair analysis though (laughs) um yeah i mean hmm so where does that leave us greg um i just i really felt like this was building towards Something that had a little bit more to do with memory and narrative and um, how we construct the past and how the past informs the future and all of that. And it just really didn't pay off on any of that stuff, really, which I thought was disappointing. I I, I keep feeling like the, the, the ending just felt kind of conventional. Yeah. It just kind of felt like, all right, well, there's the, you know, there's the the person we all kind of figured was going to turn into a villain, turned into a villain, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we all kind of felt like, uh, you know, Joe Keen isn't the big bad here, right? Well, who's it going to be? It's probably not going to be Vite again because he's been on Europa for the last seven years. He doesn't, you know, he's not going to show up in the last episode and have an evil plan, you know? And it's like, well, who's the other only other character here? <laughs> Who could, huh? Maybe it's the mysterious trillionaire with the mysterious plan. Um, so and then, you know, there's the last minute save. We get the we get the gang back together and they have the last minute save by the checkoff squid at the end. And it just felt very like, oh, this is just like the end of a season of a superhero show, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Uh, I definitely felt that way. You know, you said narratively it fit. And I think that, it, you know conventionally it was a good ending but it didn't feel like the good watchman ending yeah i mean the ending of the comic you get to the end of that and you have to who are heroes who are villains what does it mean to save the world um is superman a good thing you know all all of those things all of those questions that you 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 ask yourself after you read watchmen this show did not leave me with many questions do you know what i mean yeah it didn't I really think deconstruct that, um, much in the final analysis. No, I think you're right about that. I did want to circle back to you had mentioned before that you didn't care for Will's kind of message to Angela about what you mean know, about being under a mask and what that does. Do you yeah. still feel that way? Um, I've been thinking about this. I'm, I, I might have cooled on this a little bit, but one of the things that bothers me, and this kind of plays into the whole um, my critique of this show not really having a I, I kind of just being like, hey, everybody just cool out. Everything's OK. Um, don't don't try to make the world any better. Um, is that it seems like his big lesson to her at the end was like, hey, angry black woman, you know, trope. Don't be so angry anymore. And she's like, yeah, OK, I'll try. It's just like, really? Like, Will, you have 
a lot to be fucking angry about, man. Like, and, you know, Angela kind of does too. And I don't see the argument that the show is making that the path to a better world is for Angela to be less angry. I'm not saying that it's inherently wrong. I'm just saying the show didn't really do a good job of it. It just, uh, of showing me like, why? Wait, what? She's supposed to just not be mad? Because the show hasn't really shown me, the show did show me how Will's obsession, driven by his internal like rage and frustration at the lack of justice, how that ended up tearing apart his family and, you know, setting him on this road of isolation and alienation. Got it. But the show did not show me at all that Angela's rage or anger was an issue. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So then for Will to be like, hey, don't be so mad. I'm like, she's not even really that mad. And it's not like, you know, we were seeing any impact of that, you know? Yeah, I read that scene a little differently. And I think that what I did see was the show did try and the show did do that thing where it leans into her brutality a little bit and that she's clearly taking out her anger on the people that she's, you know, beating the shit out of when she's sister night. Yes. Uh, as well as, you know, we see that glimpse of it when in, from her past when she's, you know, asked to hear her parents kill or be executed. And I read that scene as anger and hurt are something to be acknowledged and worked through in the open to be, you know, channeled isn't the right word because that's like tropey superhero stuff. But like developed and acknowledged and worked into something that's positive, you know, positive emotions and positive action. Because she was part of a system, because of her anger, she was part of a system that was, you know, effectively starting a race war in Tulsa, you know? That's, that was like the, the plan, the keen plan. Right. And she was a pawn in that because of her anger and her hurt and her vulnerability there. So I think the message that, hey, these feelings are okay to have, but we need to work through them in a public setting, that was a good message for me no i think that was i i you know and i think that interpretation is is excellent and probably probably more what they were going for and you know you're right on the rewatch um the earlier episodes do make much more of a point of showing us that she does have some you know anger issues and there is something about her role on the police force giving her license to indulge that um, but I feel like that plot was a little bit abandoned yeah. as we as we moved in and deeper into the show. And I think I mean, I lost sight of that. Right. Yeah. By the time we get to the end, I just think that it this is an issue where the dots were there. I don't think they connected them as cleanly as they as they could have. I think that would have resonated more for me if, like I say, with the, the story you're telling, love it. Yeah, I, I just didn't see enough of it on the screen. I agree. Um, I think that I have a little bit of a theory here that I think that going for the nine episodes and I'm not asking for filler, but I think that they could have kept the multi, I think they had a lot of balls in the air and they kind of dropped a couple of them towards the end or just ignored them. They just like went up and got caught in the ceiling or something. And I feel like if we had a little more time to develop a couple of things for me, a, to stick this landing a little better. So I uh -huh. think we just we we put out multiple times where, where it's like if they just could have connected these things a little bit more, it would have felt better. It would have been more complete. Also, I could have used a little bit more of the relationship between some of the characters to make me care a little more. Yep. Because people like I reading comments and some people are like, 
oh, you know, Angela and Cal slash John's story was so amazing. I'm like, was it? Like, yeah. I, I didn't feel Ugh. like that. I mean, they did a good job because they performed well, you know, and it was written fairly well. But like, I could have used a little more time to care about them as a couple and as a family and even made a little more time to, to understand Angela and John's like relationship mm-hmm. as well as things like maybe a little bit more because we did a lot in the Lori early and we kind of just like ignored her for the rest of the show tied her to a chair for six episodes yeah um you know looking glass been on time one then once again like kind of didn't really pay off on any of his story at the end uh even vite i think like i said we had a couple of those things that we could have connected a little bit more to something i just think we could have done a little more maybe it's like if it's like 11 episodes or maybe the traditional 13 i don't know but so yeah i i agree i one of the things that i think is th- this show is paced so well but <laughs> i feel like Episode eight was like 70 minutes. Episode nine was like 70 minutes. I feel like if we found 40 more minutes total that we could have put into this show, I feel like we would have got there. It's just not quite. um, Yeah, I just need a few more minutes. Um, Can we talk about the egg? Let's talk about the egg. So definitely, you know, saw the pieces of that coming there at the end. Although now I literally before I got on this episode, I had a single carton with like a carton with a single egg in it i just kind of stared at it a little bit and i was like mm. <laughs> uh but what did you think of the ending and the egg and, and the whole cliffhanger thing which apparently wasn't a cliffhanger but I, I i mean we spent way too much time on it um in the in the in the lead up to have that not mean something right mm-hmm. it, we knew that this was gonna matter i don't i don't see it as a cliffhanger i mean she what's important i think here in this scene is that she she ate the egg knowing that it very well could give her the powers because she felt there was still work that needed to be done now whether or not in the fiction of the show it actually does give her the powers i don't feel is is actually relevant at this point it's more that she took the leap she sees that there is work remaining to be done and she wants to use these powers to do it that's what i took from it yeah that's good i at first i thought if they wanted to make it a more personal ending, they could have done this route where she ate the egg and then goes to step in the water and then just falls in and she starts laughing and she's like, no, John finally told a joke or something like that. Yeah. Like that could have been cutesy. Um, and, you know, it could have been if they would have filmed it correctly, could have been, you know, pretty touching. Uh, but then, you know, I was reading a little bit today and, and Linelof said, like, I don't there's not a cliffhanger to me. Like, just look at the scene yeah. again. So I didn't get a chance to actually watch it, but. It really does feel like there's like a blue glow starting to happen. So kind of like they said I mean, this thing about the ending to Inception where it's just like, oh, well, it's obvious. And it's just like, is it like, well, why did so you do he, it that so, way then? So let me let me make the, the connection to Inception here. So the the ending of Inception is not about whether or not the top falls over. What you're supposed to notice in the scene is that he spins the top. But then when he sees his kids, he runs, he abandons the top to go be with his kids. And the point of that scene is not, oh, the ambiguity of whether or not he's still in the dream. The point is, it doesn't matter to him mm-hmm. whether he's in the dream or not anymore. Seeing his kids has finally, whether they're real or not, has finally freed him from his obsession with, you know, the obsession that's been driving him throughout the whole movie. So the point, uh, I think, of this scene is that she's willing to take the step. Yeah. She has seen all of the things that this power can do uh, in the world. She's seen the world and decides she wants to try to use that power to maybe fix the world. 
Yeah. And I think that's a good, it's a good tie into my reading of what Will told her in that, like in her role as sister night in her role on the police force of Tulsa, was she fighting for a better world? Was she fighting for racial justice? No, she was, she was, you know, just beating dudes up. (laughs) Right. So to your point, I think that her, she's going to be transcending beating dudes up by becoming Dr. Manhattan. I mean, he makes some people explode if you want, but like, right. He doesn't have to do that. <laughs> right. Um, once again, going to his thing is like, you can clearly just zap people wherever you want. I want you to just zap them in the prison. Like, right. Uh, she's, she's transitioned from wanting. She's, she's now looking for justice, not revenge. Right. She's no longer a tool of her anger, you know. Right. She's going to fight for something bigger, which I think is that's that's a good ending. That's good. It is. Yeah. And I think it's a little bit it's interesting because Watchmen asks the question, what is a hero? Right. What is heroism? What's a superhero? What's their role in society? And it deconstructs the very hyper individualistic ethos that is very prevalent in, you know, Western, particularly American society. So how does this fit into that? You know, saying that, you know, we all we still are all individuals that need to step up. I don't know. I mean, I think it's I don't know. I I, I think that the, it's it's a simple message of um, she's taking on the challenge of doing more. Yeah. We don't know exactly what that entails. And that's OK, I think. Yeah. And it's and it's hopeful, which is an interesting contrast, because I would not describe the ending of Watchmen as hopeful. I would probably describe it as deeply nihilistic. But <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd call Alan more nihilistic. <laughs> Um, I mean, two steps away, let's say. I <laughs> he think doesn't that, have a positive view of people in society. We can put it that way. <laughs> well, no, I, I disagree. And and maybe this is because I'm a bit of an Alan Moore obsessive and I, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with his other work and the recurring themes. And um, most of Alan Moore's works that have a strong social element are generally critiques of power. Mm-hmm. And I think he is something of a capital A anarchist, and he thinks that concentrating power in individuals generally leads to corruption and abuse. Um, and in Watchmen, you have, um, you know, this this one individual, you know, can, you know, doing this really morally gray act to save us from a couple other individuals who are engaged in other morally gray acts and you know, investing too much power in those individuals lets them do big things. So I think that's that's the Alan Moore perspective. What's David Lindelof's perspective, I think, is very different based on this. I think it is um, I think he has a a different view that it might be okay to invest people with great, great amounts of power if they are appropriately motivated. Yeah, I think that's fair. Maybe. I don't know. But I mean, if you look at Alan Moore's work, I mean, you know, I read From Hell at least once a year, which is probably not great for <laughs> my mental health. But um, and I usually read it right around the time of the Ripper murders just because I'm I'm a I'm a, I'm a monster, I guess. But like, I mean, that's all about how um, the Jack the Ripper murders were just a uh, and obviously this theory is since discredited and I mean, it was discredited when he was writing it. But, you know. Um, it's it's essentially the royal family's family and the aristocracy of London murdering five women and setting the city into a panic to cover up for a illegitimate royal baby yeah. and uh, you know abuse of power. They turn this monster loose on the city, right? 
who well, was protected by his own privilege. So, and, and that's just, that's, that's a big theme in Alan Moore's work. Yeah. Well, and did you see his video he put out like last week? Um, about the British election. Oh, I, I read a transcript of it. Yeah. He literally says, so I say, he starts off saying, I am an anarchist. <laughs> yeah. So he, that he wasn't is. a theory. That was <laughs> verbatim. Yeah. Um, no, he's, I can't vouch for everything Alan Moore says, but. Right. And listen, you know, and he, he implored all the, all British folk to vote labor yeah. and, um, which none of them did. So you guys just pointed Alan Moore. Way to Thanks. go, all our British Swing listeners. <laughs> the world has continued to disappoint Alan Moore. <laughs> I don't think the world could ever not disappoint Alan Moore, but it particularly disappointed Alan Moore this time. So all of our British listeners were disappointed in you. No, just yeah. kidding. Uh, okay, so um, at first I was a little bit like, oh, I fucking hate when shows do this, like, you know, end on a cliffhanger. But I think that knowing that, like, we'll talk about it now, I guess, but like knowing that that's supposed to just be like the end kind of similar to exception like it's fine like it's it's about the message not about the actual like what's going to happen next right so what do you think about a second season greg no absolutely okay. not you know I, no. I read a lot about people talking about it and because there's been obviously a lot of talk about it and people being a little coy and little office said like i no, like if i in a year in three years if i have another great idea like this maybe but yeah it's a no the, for the me the most polite way um uh he, he could yeah and I, I will agree. I don't see how I said the only reason I want this is last time or two times ago, whenever it was like just pure greed of just like I want to see more good storytelling like this. And these characters were f- fun to watch on screen. I mean, every single every single time that Jeremy Irons opened his mouth in the finale, I laughed. I was just like, he just everything he says is his delivery. It's just so funny. It's so just dripping with like, you know, narcissism. And but like, you know, that just a hint of like craving validation and like i don't know it's just he did a really nice job and so some part of me is just like yeah i want more of that but i don't see there's a story you could tell it's going to top this no and i think that it's watchmen whatever form it takes needs to be a singular statement about us about a thing you know yeah i mean obviously it's it, it's the original comic is a, a statement about a lot of things but it's a it is it's a thing. It's a self-contained thing that exists existed for a reason. And I feel like the TV show does the same thing. But just being like, let's do that again. I it w- I don't want an anthology because each story needs to be like it needs to be really complete and 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 ha- really have a single thing to say. And I don't know that there's another thing to say that's also going to take place in the world that's been set up and directly informed by these events. And uh, yeah, I, I and also I think that the world of Watchmen, the world building um, and and to a similar extent, the characters, they work for just about as long as the thing goes on. If you add two more issues to the comic book, those characters are going to get real thin. If you spend another hour in the in the in the world of it, you're going to start to see the seams and you're going to start to scratch at things and realize the paint isn't that thick. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And it, it is very well developed, but I also think that um, the more time we spend in it, the worse it's going to look. Plus, they've effectively wrapped up the stories of everyone we care about. Right. There's a real Last Jedi problem right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, Lori has 
you know, still has issues, but she's come into her own as a person. She has a certain morality yes. that she's that she's has a view of the world, which may not be the healthiest, but it's there and she it's her own at least. Right. And and yeah. And, you know, Vite is probably going to pay for his crimes. Maybe. Fine. Dan Dreiber is in jail and potentially he's the best, quote unquote, of the bunch. Right. Like if you're going to like put him on like a good, bad spectrum, like and he for better or worse, because he's kind of presented as a little doofy in the comic, you know? Yeah. And like he thinks that vigilante justice was worth going to jail for. Yep. So his story is done. And, you know, even the new character in Dr. Manhattan, like he's dead. <laughs> yep. And he died in a way that was interesting. And all the new characters they've introduced, their stories are also pretty much closed with the exception of Angela. But that's not something that I think would be an interesting story to tell because we already no. see that, like you said, you spend only so much time with Dr. Manhattan, Dr. Manhattan and things start to get a little weird and hard right. to hard to, to write about because it's just, now who knows, maybe Angela would have all the powers. There's always mechanisms things you could do to get around that, but I don't think we need to see that story. So I agree. I don't think it's, it's a no for me. Maybe a slightly I mean, softer no than you, but still a no. I, I, I mean, but then again, I felt that Watchmen, the comic, didn't need a sequel. I was wrong. But I would say if whoa, I whoa, find stop out. The, stop the press. We get a soundboard in here. I can just like put that on a hot key. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, mark your calendars, boys and girls. <laughs> um, I was I was I was wrong that it didn't need a sequel. Um, I, I might be wrong about this, but I also feel like if you're ever going to do another Watchmen, it needs time. We yep. need to move into a different era. Right. There needs to be a different zeitgeist for it to work on. Yeah. Um, like I don't as much as it's important in this show did a really good job of exploring it. I don't really want Watchmen to become like the race show. Right. Like that's not what Watchmen. It's not. It's probably not the best venue for it. One, there's, you know, probably much better venue for that. And be like you said, it, it comments on a lot of things. And we said it's a lot more about the overall zeitgeist. not just about one piece of that at any given point. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot, I, <laughs> I think that there's a, a lot going on in our kind of, as we, we kind of enter, I mean, I don't know if it's an era, but you know, this idea of the post-truth era that we seem to be moving into. And if that's a long-term thing, that feels like something that's right down Watchmen's alley. Um, one of the things that I was, you know, um, in all up in the subreddit talking about you know, kind of thinking about what the episode nine was going to be. One of the things I was kind of toying with was this idea of, so Watchmen is very postmodern and the comic dealt with the, and postmodernism kind of has two really big questions or at least things it wants us to, to think about and deconstruct. One is what is good, you know, in the context of good and evil, you know, what is right, what is wrong, but also what is true and how do we decide what is true? And the Watchmen comic really, really deconstructed the question of what is right and wrong. And I kind of felt like the show, with all of the stuff about memory and a character literally named Lady True um, and narrative and all of that, um, I really thought we were going to be leaning into the how do we decide what is true and what is false. I thought that was going to be where the show was going to land. I was wrong. There, twice in one episode. Um but uh, I feel like that's something Watchmen could really take a bite out of right now, but I don't want them to. Somebody else can do it. Yeah. Uh, and God, I hope we don't post-truth world. That sounds 
horrific to me. Hey, man, you are swimming in it. I know. Uh, Wolf. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that the world looked very different, at least to my eyes. Let me put it this way. The world looked very different five years ago, four years ago, in a way that it did not look as different maybe 10 years before that. So at this point, I'm kind of like, who knows? Maybe we'll need another Watchmen in five years. Who knows? But I would also like to say, like, maybe it's not a TV show. Yeah. Maybe one ver, you know, one take of Watchmen is a comic book. And then the next one is a TV show. And then maybe the next one is a novel or a video game or a hot dog. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I just hope that the one thing I hope they don't do really hope they don't do, which is very common in anything that's related to franchises of any type. And something I've been thinking more about in the context as I'm kind of starting to draft up my sequel rebuild. Uh, I'm going down a rabbit hole, Greg. It's happening. Um, I feel the lore like you did, I think, all those years ago. (laughs) Uh, And thinking about how you engage with your apocrypha and then your, your expanded universe, for lack of a better term, and the desire to tell more stories right in other forms like i could see like we're gonna do a post watchman you know comic series about what angela's up to and whatever and then it's just gonna come across so like unimportant and inevitably if they would want to do something down the road with watchman again they're just gonna throw it out anyway like all these like and you know i struggle with issues of canon and story narrative who controls the truth greg um <laughs> but they, they've done it with like the best thing I can think of is like Firefly. So they've, they've kind of had like three false starts of like trying to do an expanded universe thing. And you're diluting the brand overall when you do that. The yeah. brand is not a good way to put that. You're diluting the, the story, the, the potential of the story and the characters and the narrative by doing that. And, you know, I read an interesting, I don't know, I was reading a comment and this guy was just like, I'm like, I don't know how this guy came to it. It's a weird, he's like, he basically said, I think instead of making a new show or a sequel, they should take the Zack Snyder movie and refilm parts of it and re-edit it. I was like, that's weird. And (laughs) then like to basically make it better and make it more in line with this. They said, swap out all the music for Trent Reznor and everything else and like change the ending to make it, you know, line with the comic and whatever else add all the stuff they need to add. And I was like, that's stupid. But then he's like, you know, and then I want, I guess some people really liked the before Watchmen. I don't know. Like series. So that's the only area that I could see it being like kind of interesting is that I don't want to get into like explain everything territory, but like that flashback with Hood Justice was like pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, uh, I really liked that flashback, that episode. I liked the way that it built on the existing lore but it did all that in service of the larger story that this show was trying to tell. Correct. And I think that any little bits of Watchmen timeline you pick out, all your I think I think the best you can do is just tell a really compelling adventure in a in the world of the Watchmen. You can't really get to the same level of thematic and narrative depth. Unless you have like that really big central idea. Mm-hmm. And then, and if you don't have that, it's not really Watchmen anymore. Yeah. And and like I said, I, I just feel like the characters in the world of Watchmen are, they're thin enough that I don't think you can really throw a lot more in there. It's not like Star Wars where theoretically you can invent any old planet, 
populated with whatever new species you want and set some adventures on it, and it's fine because we come to Star Wars for adventures, not for big themes and ideas, you know? We come to Watchmen for big themes and ideas, and I just... I don't want them to do anything. I mean, look, it's it's like I'm greedy too. Like I want more of this. I want to rewatch it. I want to reread it. Um, and I, I kind of understand the you know your your you know comments guy who was like, I want them to like restructure the Snyder movie to like mesh with this. Like I understand the impulse of just wanting to soak in this some more, but um, that's good. You know that the good art leaves you wanting more. You know. Yeah, that's true. And I think that you know. To sum up, despite not totally nailing the ending, I'm still really happy with this series as a whole. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I where it could agree. have been, where it could have been right now, uh, and where it is, I think is is I'm willing to take that <laughs> and walk I mean, away. You know what I mean? We also had Game of Thrones this year. Like, yeah. holy shit. By comparison, holy shit. Um, it, this is. Again, my complaints are, you know, relatively minor, you know, especially, and based on the conversation we've had, like I've come around on a lot of things in this episode of like, you know, I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. And I will say that having done the rewatch in more of a marathon fashion, I do think that this show takes on a very different texture when you don't put a week between each episode. I think the pacing feels much better as a, um, if you just go boom, 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 boom through the episodes. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to be rewatching this at this. some point. Hmm? I'm definitely going to be rewatching this at some point because I think it's just you're going to pick up on so much and oh yeah, it's going to feel yeah, so oh, complete. Man. Every scene with Angela and Cal is so good once you know <laughs> once you know what he's up to and the Vite scenes. Um, uh, now you know looking back on them, I'm like, yeah, wow. And then this whole idea that like the whole thing, his his entire adventure there was basically just another little play he'd written. To keep himself busy while he waited for rescue. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, that the play that he wrote and, you know, and he's telling he's telling the different people like, you know, teaching them like, you know, it's it's not a lie if it's acting and, you know, teaching. And then you're like and then he does the little play and you're like, oh, I guess that was it for his play. And you're like, nope, <laughs> it was a play within a play. Um I thought that was, you know, really, really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've talked about how, you know, shows in the modern era, some of them work better when you have a week between to think about it and kind of take it in and process it and other things. It's, But it's interesting that this show does still really work, work really well if you just plow through the episodes. And, and like I say, in some cases, I think the pacing is a little bit better. Like I didn't feel as much of the slowdown around episodes three and four that I did the first time we watched it. Um, gotcha. And I don't know if that's just because on the rewatch, you're looking for different things or if it's just the, the rhythm of it, but yeah, watch it again and again and again, because you can. Yeah, that is true. And I plan to for sure. <laughs> <laughs>